Welcome to the Low Carb Leader Podcast, a podcast focused on optimizing health and performance through a low carb lifestyle. Every episode will bring you a step closer to living an amazing low carb life. Come join us for this exciting journey. And here is your low carb leader and host, Dan Perryman. Hello, and welcome to the Low Carb Leader Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Perryman. And you have joined me for episode 24. Today, we have an awesome interview with Dr. Jason Fung. I interviewed Dr. Fung in Breckenridge, Colorado this past weekend at the Low Carb Breckenridge Conference. We actually did a Facebook Live interview, which was very informative. And Dr. Fung is a worldwide expert on intermittent fasting and a skilled physician, just a great guy. A little bit about Dr. Fung. He's a Toronto-based nephrologist. He completed medical school and internal medicine at the University of Toronto before finishing his nephrology fellowship at the University of California, Los Angeles. He then joined Scarborough General Hospital in 2001, where he continues to practice. He is the author of several books, including The Obesity Code, Unlocking the Secrets of Weight Loss, and The Complete Guide to Fasting. So before we get into the interview, I just want to discuss the Low Carb Breckenridge Conference that I just returned from last night. This was an amazing weekend. They brought in numerous speakers, top speakers in the field of diabetes, low carb. There were physicians, clinicians, just a great panel. So the whole weekend was lectures and networking. There was about 300 people there. And so what was really cool about it was you could interact with the speakers and get to know a lot of people. So as a result, Dr. Fung, we did a Facebook Live interview, talked with him all weekend, also did a Facebook Live with Maria Emmerich, who's the author of nine books on ketogenic cooking, and she does a lot of nutritional consulting. And if you listen to the podcast, I had already interviewed her, but we wanted to, to do a Facebook Live, which was which was really cool. So I just wanted to talk about uh, Breckenridge for those of you who are skiers or those of you who have been in higher altitudes. Breckenridge was at 9,600 feet and I never realized what altitude does to us. And so a lot of people, including myself, kind of went through the whole weekend with headaches and cramps in our legs. And I talked to quite a few people at the conference and everybody was kind of experiencing this uh, altitude sickness, because that's pretty high, almost 10,000 feet. And so uh, they have a, they had an oxygen bar there where you could sit in there and breathe oxygen. You, of course, you pay for it. And did that for a couple days, actually 45 minutes a day, and that made a big difference. So never really knew how altitude affected me, because I've really never spent three days at 10,000 feet. And then knowing that the skiers we're up at around 13,000 feet and it was extremely cold. So it was uh wind chill was definitely below zero. But if you look at the Facebook page, the low carb later, you can see pictures, beautiful place and an amazing conference. So, so happy that I went. Just want to remind you that I will be kicking off the 14 day Tabata challenge on March 15th. And so if you've signed up, you have received the first email and you'll start getting more emails as we go. Uh, we have 550 people who have confirmed and actually 850 people who have signed up. So you have to confirm on your email. So please go to your email and click on it. 
So we'll get on to part one. The reason I broke it up is because we talked for over an hour and it would make the podcast episode a little bit too long. So part two will be coming out soon. Hope you enjoy the interview. So where, where I kind of switched a little bit from kind of conventional medicine was somewhere around uh, you know 2011, somewhere around there, when it kind of became obvious that nutrition was really a very, very more important part of medicine than most conventional doctors are trained to uh, understand. So that's when I started really looking into weight loss, obesity, type 2 diabetes, and really realizing that a lot of what we get taught is not actually true, um, which is funny to say, sort of root cause of much of our disease, type 2 diabetes, with all its downstream complications, heart disease, cancer, you know, kidney disease, which is where I come in, but also blindness, amputations, Alzheimer's disease, all of this, which practically takes up like 50% of our healthcare dollars is all related back to nutrition and weight right. and so on. And nobody really even seems to care too much about it other than um, eat a little bit less, portion control, count your calories, exercise. It's like, well, that's really tired advice. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I got that advice in the uh, 80s when I grew up, right? And it's the same advice we give people now and it hasn't worked. So this is this is where I came in and, and to see the real sort of fallacy, the sort of illogic of, what we do but uh, but unfortunately it's such a big part of healthcare that we really can't sit by idly and just let it go right? yeah i mean I, you know i work in a hospital and doctors are not trained on this are yeah. they not at all and i don't i don't think people understand that but you know, I read you maybe go through one nutrition course. In yeah, so honestly, I don't remember any of them, <laughs> but I'm sure I had them. Uh, it was <laughs> so out of four years of medical school, we had probably seven or eight hours of nutrition, right? But it wasn't really truly nutrition. You'd go over biochemical pathways of vitamin K, for example. So that was your nutrition course. So we'd learn all these pathways of vitamin K, which relates to anticoagulation, right? So again, relating back to medicines that we give people. Not really what people should eat and how they should stay healthy and how to lose weight and that sort of thing. The stuff that everybody assumes doctors understand, there's practically zero training. So there's a lot on other things about nutrition which relate to disease, very berry disease, scurvy, like nutrient deficiencies and so on but not a lot on what affects you and I and right. the rest of North America because we don't treat beriberi disease truly, right? It's, it's, it's uh, not a very common disease compared to obesity and type 2 diabetes, for example. So really, in truth, there is zero nutrition courses. So then after the four years of medical school, then you go into what I did, which is internal medicine, which is five years of postgraduate training, right? So it's a lot of training. And in there, there is truly zero hours of nutrition, unless you're interested. So out of nine years of, you know, uh, medical medical school um, and postgraduate training, you get virtually zero on how to lose weight, how to treat your diabetes. So really, that's what's happened. So doctors have been kind of, uh, they don't get the training, so they leave it to other people to deal with. So you leave it to the dietitians, and in truth, where do people get their weight loss advice from? They have to go to Weight Watchers, right. or they go online and they follow some guy who sells them 
you know, all kinds of stuff. There's yeah. all kinds of stuff. So we are live. This is for those watching right now. This is the first time that I've ever done the live thing. And my, my contacts don't work so well. So I'm actually going to have to kind of move up just to see what. <laughs> if you have any questions or comments for Dr. Fung, let us know. But we do want to talk about intermittent fasting. Sure. Um, so you go around the world pretty much. And I've, I've, uh, watched a lot of your YouTube videos, you know, oh, you, you have like a hundred thousand viewers when you oh. have a YouTube video, oh, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> which is pretty awesome, which, which kind of shows that people are really interested in this concept yeah. of intermittent fasting. So for those that aren't familiar with it, what would, yeah, so kind of the intermittent fasting is basically where you don't eat, right? So you can drink water and there's all variations. You can uh, drink teas and coffees and some, and some people allow broth and some people out doesn't but there are variations of a prescribed period of time that you don't eat and it can be any period of time so it's infinitely flexible so it could be 16 hours it could be 24 hours it could be 36 hours it could be five days it could be seven days it could be 30 days so you can do anything you like or whatever suits you and the thing about the way i got into this kind of field is actually very strange because i started out looking at weight loss and obesity and understanding that what we get taught, which is it's all about calories, is really not true. So this is what everybody thinks, is that if you eat too many calories, you gain weight, with no kind of differentiation of where those calories come from. And that sort of idea has been promoted a lot, mostly through commercial interests, to try and convince you that all calories are the same, but they're not. It's so obvious that if you have dinner and you have a plate of brownies or if you have a salad with salmon, they could be the same number of calories. But what they do to your body is completely different, right. right? And as soon as that food goes in your mouth, the hormonal response of your body is completely different. And that's the point. One will cause a lot of insulin release and weight gain. The other won't. So why we pretend they're equal, I don't really know. Um, I think it's because a lot of the people who sell junk food, sell sugary sodas, have always tried to promote that message that all calories are equal. But they're not. They're all different. So that's how I started. I started doing a low-carbohydrate sort of a clinic. And the thing was that it was a total disaster, right? Nobody was doing what I was telling them to do. And it wasn't – so then I had to kind of we go back and say, why aren't people understanding this? And it's hard because you've been trained for 30 years, 40 years to eat low fat, cut your fat, count your calories, and, and they couldn't really get their heads around that, oh, all this rice and all this pasta and all these sugary drinks, you know, they don't understand what it was that I was trying to tell them. So that's when I thought, well, I really have to do something a little different here. Because if you're, you know, very interested, if you're 30 years old and you're on the internet all day looking at nutrition lectures, yeah, you'll understand what I'm talking about. But that's not my patient. My patient was 65, 70 years old. Maybe they were Filipino. Maybe they're Chinese. Maybe they didn't speak English. Maybe they're Arab. There are so many different people. And it really didn't work. That low carb, they have all different ideas of what it was. So then I thought, well, okay, then I have to do something else. So that's when... Somebody had mentioned one of these cleanses that they were doing, right? And and I thought, well, that's just like fasting. I thought, what a terrible idea, right? Fasting is just a terrible idea. That's why my initial thought, and that's what almost everybody else, when I mention it, thinks. But again, my advantage is that I, I understand physiology and I have the resources to look it up. And I thought, well, 
my initial reaction, my gut reaction is that this is such a terrible thing. But why do I think that? Like, what is, what is really going to happen if people don't eat? And there's a couple of things that I kind of always thought was interesting. One is that as a doctor, I tell people to fast all the time. And it's not because of nutrition. It's because they're going for surgery. They're getting blood work done. They're getting an ultrasound done. They have to get this test done. They have to get back the endoscopy, colonoscopy. Mm -hmm. So, for example, if you have people doing colonoscopy, which is now routine after age 55, there are places that make you fast for two days. Right. right? And guess what? Nothing bad happens in those two days. Right. And I always remember back when I actually had an endoscopy. It's funny because I had a, two gastroscopies when I was a kid because I had peptic ulcer disease. And I fasted for the endoscopy because you have to clear out the gut, right? And I remember thinking, this is not that bad. Like I didn't eat for 24 hours because that was the standard at the time. And I felt really normal. And I thought, I wonder why that is. And so I always remember that. So that's why I went back and thought, we tell people to fast all the time. And the other thing that I always thought was very interesting was that when we get people out of the intensive care unit onto my medical floor, they might have gone into the intensive care unit taking 200 units of insulin a day. When they come out because they've been sick and they haven't been eating, they are off all their insulin and their blood sugars are perfectly normal. Right. I thought, that is weird. And I saw it for 20 years, right? But I didn't kind of put it together until I really started to think about it and thought, well, what really is wrong with fasting? So then I went back and I looked at all the data on fasting, what happens physiologically to the body, and guess what? Nothing bad happens. You store food energy as fat and glycogen, and when you don't eat, you just pull it back out of your right, body and use right. it. That's the way we're designed. And then you think back, okay, well, there's so many um, historical things that we've done with fasting that is through religion. And it's not one religion. It's all religions. But even if you go back even further to the kind of beginning of human history, people didn't eat for long periods of right, time because right. there was no food. And guess what? We're here. Yeah, so we're they survived, survived, right? Those cavemen yeah. survived. Yeah. So that's when I started thinking, okay, well, the fasting is actually a very interesting idea because one, because of that link to all basically all of humanity right every religion in the world has prescribed periods of fasting everybody kind of understands what fasting actually means whether it's because we tell them to do fasting blood work and all this sort of thing people understand what fasting actually means and three it's conceptually very simple for them to understand that if they don't eat that blood sugar is going to come down if they that blood sugar comes down they don't need to take insulin uh, or as much insulin or their medications and guess what they're going to lose weight too so because it's so easy for people to understand there's a much higher rate of acceptance whereas if you tell people well you should eat low carbohydrate high fat they're like whoa right high fat right I, the last 40 years the do every doctor has told me to eat low fat uh, now obviously that has changed but some people haven't kind of cottoned on to that switch that we've gone you know, we've kind of cut out a lot of that, the dietary guidelines. Americans, they cut that kind of total fat cap out of it. The Mediterranean diet is not a low-fat diet. It's a high-fat diet with all the olive oil, avocados, and nuts, right? So we are moving towards more and more kind of healthy fats. But a lot of people didn't, don't understand that. They don't keep up with it. But yeah. fasting, they understand. It's like, hey, this is what I need to do. They understand exactly why it's going to make them healthier, 
and they understand exactly what they have to do because it's not like eat this and not that and this and not that and this and not that. It's like, don't, just don't eat anything at all, right? Just drink water for this period of time and that's it. And the other advantage is because I could prescribe those periods of time, I could adjust those medications exactly to what that period of time was. Oh, that's and awesome. this is a big, big advantage. So it's a huge advantage when people are uh, changing their diet because, of course, their insulin doses, their medications are based on what diet they're eating. So if I can control exactly the diet, I can prescribe them and have them do it safely. So that's a huge advantage. And there are so many other advantages. It doesn't cost them any money. Yeah, that's, right? a, yeah, that's a great. huge advantage. They understood what they're doing. They could easily explain to their family members what it was that they were doing. And again, I have a huge advantage because then they can say, oh, my doctor told me to do it. Whereas if somebody else does it and say, oh, I found this on the internet somewhere that somebody told right. me to do this, their family would be like, oh my God, don't do that, yeah, right? Yeah. But then they're like, my doctor's doing it. He's monitoring my blood work. He's monitoring me. He's monitoring everything, like my medication. And so they feel safe. It gives it the legitimacy exactly, around. Exactly. We do have a couple. Let's see if there's a Healy watching from the Pueblo of Zuni in New Mexico. That's awesome. And Denise watching from Texas. Well, welcome. Welcome. That's cool. So I've I've experimented a lot with intermittent fasting, and so I've done the sixteen eight window where you right. you eat for eight hours, and I've been really watching. I did a five day water fast oh. and measured glucose and ketones and the ratio. Right. But what I found was when I eat in a bigger window, I lose my level of ketones over a few days a lot quicker, mm. and my blood sugar actually goes up a little bit. So what I've been doing is. Closing that window. So now right. I'll eat from like two to six. Right, right. And I'll, I'll drink bulletproof coffee. I'm addicted yeah. to that stuff in the morning. <laughs> but my blood sugar has dropped, my ketones. So the caloric restriction is a big part of ketones and blood sugar, right? Yeah. And, and this is the thing that people don't quite understand. This whole thing about calories. And calories, I say, is quite a useless concept because... For example, if you simply restrict your calories, which we always told people to do, if you say to somebody, okay, you normally eat 2,000 calories a day. Now you cut it to 1,500 a day. Every day you still eat three, four, or five meals a day, but you simply eat a little less. And we tell people that's going to make you lose weight. Truth is it doesn't, right? That's the... You know, that's the purely the what happened because we've all done it and nobody loses weight. If you look in society and people try to lose weight by caloric restriction, it doesn't work. And the question is why? The answer really is that your body, if it senses you're only eating 1500 calories, will quickly restrict you to 1500 calories of caloric expenditure. So now your body heat is lower, you feel cold, you feel tired, you feel hungry. So as you drop that caloric expenditure, you don't lose weight because now you're eating 1500 and burning 1500 and you don't lose weight. What happens during fasting is completely different because what you're doing is you're restricting time, not calories, right? So the signal, the hormonal signal you send to the body, which is by lowering insulin levels particularly, is you signal to the body to start switching fuel sources. So now, for example, your body, instead of burning food, is burning fat. The fat that you have on your body because that's all it is that's all stored food energy from from you know previous meals that you will use when there's nothing to eat if you're always eating like if you start eating a few snacks here and there throughout your fast all through the day you know 
then your body's like, well, I'm still getting food in. I'll just burn that, right? It never switches fuel sources. So even if you eat 500 calories in that eating window, that four hours or 800 calories, your body will actually make up those other 1,200 calories from your body fat, right, right? Right. Because it's like, whoa, during the time that you're not eating, it's like, whoa, I have nothing to eat. Let me switch over to this one. And it's like, okay, I have like tons of this body fat. I just burn it, right? Whereas before, if you kind of snack throughout the day, just cut a few calories here and there, the fat stores are locked away. They're not accessible to you. So then your body has to reduce its expenditure, right? It's kind of like if you have two fuel sources, right? Like a hybrid car, right? You can do electric or you can do gas, right? But if you lock away that gas component and only run electric, well, if the electricity goes down, your car starts not moving, which is what happens to our body. As the food goes down, you go from 2,000 calories to 1,500 your body starts shutting down because you've locked away that gas. What we're talking about with fasting is really trying to flip that hormonal switch to let you access that second fuel source, which is natural, right? Which is right. there in our body, right? Which burns, ketones burn a lot cleaner, correct? Yeah. The ketones is basically when your body uh, doesn't have glucose to burn, like food, then it will switch to burning fat. So most of the body can actually use that fat directly. So the fats are triglycerides, but the brain can't. So the brain, there's a blood-brain barrier. So the triglycerides can't actually get from the blood into the brain, and you actually have to produce these ketones from the fat, which can get into it. So your brain actually still uses a little glucose, but up to 75% of your brain metabolism switches over to ketones. And this is one of the things we find during fasting is that people find that their mental clarity is much higher. Definitely. So it's, it's, you know, it's, it's a very interesting thing. And people have noticed this kind of throughout history. And there's some very interesting stories of Pythagoras, the very famous Greek mathematician. So in ancient Greece, they used to fast, not because they're fat, not because they had type 2 diabetes, because they didn't. It was to increase their mental capacity. So... Pythagoras required his students to fast before they could come into his oh, class. Oh, is that right? That's cool. Which is yeah. amazing. And all these famous Greek philosophers, they did fasting to increase their mental clarity. And we still talk about the ancient Greek philosophers and how smart they are. Pythagoras, these ancient Greek uh, mathematicians. It's like, hey, that's amazing. And here's something that uh, you can use as a hack. You know, people talk about hacks, which is, these simple things you can do to make your body function better. So there's people, for example, in Silicon Valley who will fast, not because they need to lose weight, but because they realize that they can actually function at a much higher mental level than if they're eating all the time. And guess what? That means you're more competitive. It means right. dollars and cents, right? And hey, why not? It's like the perfect hack. So yeah. there's lots of different reasons to do it. Oh, welcome everybody else. Yeah, this is a great discussion. Um, a, a question I have, well, first of all, a comment about mental clarity. I almost don't even want to eat. I, <laughs> I, I mean, seriously, I got to like force myself to eat and, and people find that funny, but you wake up burning fat and then, yeah. you know, I do bulletproof coffee with MCT, but that doesn't really Yeah, it doesn't it stimulate much. insulin, right? um, so pure fats don't, so but that's the, why. But the clarity I have in the morning, I yeah. actually look forward to getting up like at 4.30 or 5 and I work on podcast stuff or whatever. Yeah. I'm so clear. Yeah. Um, and then 
later in the afternoon, maybe because of my age or whatever, you know, I start, <laughs> I start getting a little uh, tired at night. But um, that has that has made a big difference. And I interviewed Brian and Danny from the Ketogenic Athlete, and they said the same thing. And the question I have for you is, we all feel that now our body needs less sleep. Yeah. I, I swear I sleep less. Is that something you see? I mean, I, I, I do think that people do that. I, I mean, sleep definitely is affected. And some people, a lot of people actually complain because they're used to sleeping right. eight hours. And all of a sudden they said, I can't fall asleep. And if what happens during fasting is that your blood glucose drops. So your body produces uh, something called counter-regulatory hormones. So these are hormones that run counter to insulin. So they insulin tends to... Uh, you know, lower your blood sugars, these tend to raise your blood sugars, right? So what's happened, of course, is that as you're not eating, your body actually wants to start pulling glucose back out from its stores and filling it up. So there's several uh, main ones. Cortisol is a big one. Noradrenaline is a big one and growth hormone. These are all counter-regulatory hormones. So part of the hormonal change of fasting is that these all go up and they actually activate your body, right? So they're general activators. So noradrenaline, for instance, is like adrenaline gives you energy right growth hormone allows your body to rebuild when you start eating which is like amazing and there's so many different uh benefits to that sort of growth hormone there's theoretical benefits for example for osteopenia or osteoporosis there's theoretical benefits for alzheimer's disease all kinds of things in terms of letting your body kind of regenerate and renew itself which is fantastic right your body starts to break down a few of the old proteins and then the growth hormone allows it to rebuild. So you're actually on, almost got getting a kind of anti-aging. But getting back to the sleep, because it activates your body, you don't need as much sleep. And some people, they try and force themselves. Like, yeah. They go to bed at 10 every night for the last 30 years. Now they start fasting and they're up till 1. Right? And it's like, I'm, I, and I always tell them that, well, this is a natural response to the fasting. Okay, So if it really bothers you, then you may have to adjust things. But... Really, just that's some free time for you. You can yeah, go do work. Yeah. You can go enjoy yourself. You can watch movies. You can do anything that you normally like because now your body is actually powered up and ready to go. And this is the thing that is, yeah, that's where it's beneficial to have somebody who understands what fasting is because yeah. they can tell you, oh, that's exactly, this is exactly what you're, what, what you're going through and don't worry about it, right? The other thing that people always come back to us very surprised is that they always say when i started fasting i thought i'd be always so hungry but actually the complete opposite oh, absolutely right they go i think my stomach shrank i'm always like i don't think your stomach physically shrank <laughs> but yeah. it feels like it and yeah. everybody always comes back and it's because what's happening of course is that you're now opening up the fuel stores from your body fat so your body is telling you, I don't need to eat that much because I can access yeah. all this huge stores of fat to power my body. So people will be fasting and they'll say, oh, I'm only getting like 600 calories a day. It's like, yeah, but the other right. 1,200 is right. coming from your body fat. Yeah. That's perfect. That's awesome, yeah. Right? And I always say, well, think about it. If you're trying to lose weight, that's exactly what you want because if your hunger goes down, now you're working with your body to lose weight instead of the previous way which is portion control count your calorie where it's been proven that hunger signaling goes way up right and even in during short-term fast 
What's interesting, if you measure ghrelin, which is the hunger hormone, as you go longer and longer through a fast, hunger does not go up. So this is the secret to how people can do these 7, 21, 31-day fasts, is because by day two, ghrelin peaks and then goes down. So day two is the day that you say, oh man, I am never going to make it through. By day five, you're like, I can go on forever because your body is simply eating body fat. Yeah. So it's it's actually very interesting, and this is the thing that is that nobody, because nobody fasts anymore, it's been really out of style for like thirty years. There's been nobody around to tell you that hey, this is normal, this is what to expect. It's okay. This is how to deal with it, right? And that's what we're trying to kind of uh, you know educate people and let them know, and we hold their hand and tell yeah. them, don't worry. There are lots of problems, right? Constipation, headaches and stuff, but but you can deal with them. And, you know, to confirm what you were saying about day two, I mean, I think going into a five, I did a five-day water fast and going into it, I was low carb anyway, right. so I think that makes it a little bit easier. Definitely. But day one and day two, I, I fast a lot anyway. It wasn't too bad, but by day three, four, five, yeah. absolutely no hunger to, to the yeah. point of even surprise me because I'm like, I don't yeah. even... I wouldn't even want to eat right now. And then on day five, I started, I thought, you know, you just some, I think you have to listen to your body. And oh, after day five, I'm like, I think it's been long enough. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but I felt good. Yeah. I mean, I felt really good. And, and yeah. I, I think people should try it. I think, I think people yeah. get so scared exactly. that I'm going to drop dead if I don't eat yeah, every yeah. three hours. But it's um, really good for your body. Question about... I've heard it pronounced two ways, autophagia or autophagy. Okay. How do you pronounce it? Uh, I say autophagy. Okay, autophagy. I've heard it both ways. Um, <laughs> when do you think that kick? Well, actually, if you could explain that. And yeah. then when do you think that kicks in? So autophagy is this process, which is the breaking down of your own body's uh, kind of old proteins or slightly damaged proteins. And it probably starts somewhere between 18 hours, 24 hours, 36 hours. That's probably the maximal time. So what happens is that if you look at what happens, if you look at the body during fasting, your body stores food energy as glycogen in the liver and body fat. Your glycogen will last you 24 hours roughly. And then after that, the food, the fat oxidation really kicks in around 36 hours. So somewhere between 24, 36 hours, there's this period where you actually do break down protein. And this is why some people have always said, oh, you're going to eat all your protein. Right. That's not actually what happens because what your body is doing is selectively targeting those kind of damaged old proteins. And the other people, the other thing that people always forget is that growth hormone goes way up, right, during a fasting period so that as you start to eat, you're going to rebuild those proteins. So yes, there's breakdown. But if you only look at the breakdown and don't look at the kind of rebuilding, you're going to miss the entire beneficial process so it's like renovation say you want to renovate your kitchen or your bathroom or whatever right the first thing you got to do is throw out that 1970s style lime green tub right which, which, like, you, which you found in your room <laughs> yeah that's right <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> parents had like tons of this stuff right it's hilarious right but the breakdown is just as important as the rebuilding so if you look at say bone uh, because this may play a role in osteoporosis for example is that when you renew your bone the first thing you do is take a little chunk out of the bone and break it down, and right? So the osteoclasts, they actually break down bone, and then you rebuild it. That's how you get it. It's a, it's a renewal process. So the autophagy has gained a lot of attention because the 2016 Nobel Prize for Medicine was awarded to one of the researchers 
one of the original researchers in it. But this is a way that the body can actually renew a lot of its old protein. So if you can do that, that almost reverses the aging process. And it's like, wow, that is amazing, considering that that benefit is available to everybody for free. Right. It's like, that is like tremendous. So this is a lot of new research is going into it. So you can't say that there's a lot of proven benefits, but the theoretical benefits would be, say, for osteoporosis, for Alzheimer's disease prevention, and for cancer. Because a lot of these cancers, remember, are damaged cells. So if you look at the work of, say, some of the researchers like Dr. Thomas Seifert right. in Boston, he says, well, everybody should do like a seven-day fast once a year, right? Because you want to get rid of all that old junk, including all those cancerous cells, right? And do this on a routine basis throughout, like, you know, not like when you have cancer, but like... From the time that you're a, an adult, do it once in a while to get rid of those right. old cancerous cells. Your body will break it down and rebuild proper cells. And it's like, wow, that is fantastic. Thank you for being with us today. And we hope that you are on the road to your successful low-carb lifestyle. Become a leader in your health and a leader in life. Check us out at www.thelowcarbleader.com. And remember to join Dan again next time on the Low Carb Leader Podcast.